Let's get to a conversation uh, that I had with Margaret Brennan, moderator of CBS's Face the Nation. We call her up every Friday. My question for Margaret first was about the meeting between President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping in San Francisco this week. There was an announcement of uh, an agreement to work together on it. So that's viewed as significant because Xi Jinping is the chief, quote unquote, decider. He is an authoritarian leader. And so the efforts at lower level uh, diplomatic contacts um, aren't as significant as having Xi Jinping say, okay, I'll work on it. Uh, One of the criticisms from the FBI director, for example, Chris Ray, was that China not only helps to provide the precursor chemicals, but also the pill presses for fentanyl, also some ingredients for meth. Um, Those go through the Mexican drug cartels and then enter the United States. So if Xi Jinping is the authoritarian leader, the theory of the case is that if he wants it to stop, he can help it to uh, at least be tamped down. Um, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, but we will also talk about some of the bigger issues between the U.S. and China, including concerns about putting guardrails around artificial intelligence and lowering the risk of a military clash. We have the two chairs of the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, a Democrat and a Republican, joining us Sunday. And next, President Biden heads to Mexico to talk with the president there also about fentanyl that, as you mentioned, it goes from China to Mexico and then up into the U.S. So is that, again, another part of this effort to stop the flow of fentanyl? AMLO, as he is called, uh, President Lopez Obrador is at that APEC summit in San Francisco. And yes, indeed, that could help uh, to have um, an agreement there to, to cut down. But he is going to be scrutinized for his uh, ties or alleged ties to, to Mexican drug cartels, or at least turning a blind eye. There's also concern just more generally about that U.S. border uh, shared with Mexico and all sorts of transit across it, including the migration, which has been at uh, record levels. So there's a lot to talk about with uh, the the president of Mexico and some real news to come out of that APEC summit, potentially. Is this all President Biden ramping up for the campaign trail? I mean, he's stuffing a lot into his resume right now. Well, he certainly is. And these are big issues on the campaign trail, uh, national security wise. But for the president, these are also key issues that the country has to deal with. So it's not a necessarily easy political win because these are pretty hard problems and there aren't very concrete solutions coming out of the meetings. For example, with Xi Jinping, there are promises to do things. So it's kind of a wait and see. But uh, the idea is if you're talking, you're not fighting. And so that is the effort to try to get face to face with Xi Jinping. And certainly even getting the Mexican president to come to San Francisco is viewed as a success because he very rarely uh, travels outside of Mexico. We're talking with moderator of Face the Nation, Margaret Brennan. I also wanted to ask Margaret about the stopgap bill that was passed through Congress and the Senate this week signed by the president in avoids a potential government shutdown. So what was the general consensus around Washington, D.C. about the bill? This was a, a necessary evil, some would, would say, lawmakers uh, in, in trying to just keep the government from shutting down. They signed another short-term patch uh, in a bipartisan way, something that the last speaker was ousted for doing. But the Republican speaker's plan uh, received criticism from within his own party because it didn't come with cuts. Uh, And that was something that, as a conservative, he had had long promised. So 
uh, he did avoid a shutdown and has promised that in the weeks to come, he will deal with some of these bigger issues. Uh, there is the expectation that over in the Senate, where they are working on um, a border policy change and working on uh, things like aid to Taiwan and Israel and Ukraine, that, that the two parts of Congress will have to ultimately work together to get some of those bigger issues dealt with before the end of the year. Let's talk about the the war between Israel and Hamas. There is growing, I don't know, anger, concern, disgust over the treatment of civilians in in Gaza and mm-hmm. especially children and what's mm-hmm. happening in the hospitals. Where do you see this coming to a head? Is is Israel going to get dinged for going too hard? Well, behind closed doors, they are uh, by U.S. diplomats and U.S. officials. Publicly, the United States is being very careful not to criticize um, the Israeli government too harshly. But uh, the Secretary of State has said there are too many Palestinian dead. Uh, The Israeli Prime Minister spoke to my colleague, Nora O'Donnell, yesterday on the evening news. And he said, um, you know, while they are trying to finish the job with minimal civilian casualties, quote unquote, unfortunately, we're not successful. That is an acknowledgement uh, that there are a lot of innocent people being killed. And according to the State Department, that estimate of 11,000 people who have died in the past six weeks in Gaza alone is an undercount, potentially. Mm -hmm. They don't have uh, fidelity on the numbers because they don't have people on the ground that separation between fighters and civilians is unclear, but that's exactly the point. It's unclear. And we know that half of the 2.2 million people who were living in Gaza before this war are children. And it is just absolutely heart-wrenching, I think, to any parent to see uh, a, a children caught in the crossfire, children caught in the crossfire like, like this. Thousands, thousands of them dead. And you see them in the hospitals, you see the video, you hear doctors going, I have nothing else left to give them. They have bullet wounds and I just have to let them sit there and suffer because we have nothing. Not sure how we got here. You know, as you said, as a parent or just anybody, I don't think you have to be a parent to see a child suffering and go, that's not right. But if you say anything negative about this, suddenly you're anti-Semitic. So we're in this sort of like spiral of how do we get out of here? We can't because nobody can say anything. Who can decide to stop this? I know what you're talking about in terms of the very high level of emotion around this. It is something where I just say we got to get back to a common set of of principles on basic humanity. Um, You can say in the same sentence that it is horrific and horrible that children were torn away from their families and taken hostage by Hamas. Full stop. Mm-hmm. That is horrible. That breaks my heart to hear a three-year-old American girl or a, an Israeli um, infant taken. Mm-hmm. But you can also equally say that more than 4,000 Palestinian children dying is too much death. Mm-hmm. And so I think really just in our programming on Sundays, we try to stay focused on the, those facts because if we don't talk about each other as humans, if we dehumanize each other, it is really dangerous, really dangerous territory. That's why we've been trying to talk uh, to some of the folks on the ground who are trying to help in the hospitals, the doctors, uh, the humanitarian workers, uh, because this is dangerous. And by the way, Israeli security and U.S. security are interlinked. And so the anger that is being directed at the United States in many countries, because the United States is the chief weapons provider to Israel, uh, does long term raise questions about, you know, 
radicalization and targeting of Americans. It's why there's a worldwide security threat right now for Americans traveling abroad. So it, it is, um, it's a really dangerous moment, and we're just trying to be more civil in our conversation. Absolutely. Moderator of Face the Nation, Margaret Brennan, we appreciate your insight. Thank you. So what you're seeing is they've got you. <laughs> I thought I'd read your favorite Cairo okay. 7 TV promo for you. That, that's our resident historian, Felix Benelli, joins us every Friday morning for All Over the Map. And this week, wow, local underwater explorers revealed they've identified the wreck of a ship that went down in a deadly tragedy on Elliott Bay 117 years ago this weekend. And you got to see it. Yeah, it was Tuesday, November 18th, 1906, 117 years ago tomorrow in one of the Mosquito Fleet, the SS Dicks, one of those wooden steamboats that were the backbone of transportation around here before highways and bridges that left downtown Seattle, headed west on a 40-minute trip to Port Blakely over on Bainbridge Island. The captain went below to collect tickets, left an unlicensed crew member at the helm. Unclear exactly why it happened the way it did, but a big three-masted wooden steamer full of iron ore called the Genie came into view, and the Dicks didn't turn out of the way, and it struck it, and it sank, rolled over on its side, sank very quickly. As many as 39 passengers were trapped on the lower deck, oh went down gosh. with it, and mostly women and children. Oh, right? no. It's a huge tragedy. The big news is that the wreck of the SS Dicks has been identified in Elliott Bay, north of Alki. The wreck, which is about 100 feet long, is sitting upright on the bottom in 600 feet of water. I went out yesterday on the Sea Blazer to have a look via sonar and video from an ROV, and it was pretty amazing. Now, this particular wreck was first located about 15 years ago, but it was unidentified and misidentified a few times over the years. It's so deep, it's not the kind of thing that recreational divers can regularly visit. It takes special equipment to survey. The guys who figured it out are Jeff Hummel and Matt McCauley. You may remember that they're the same two guys who last year located the 1875 wreck of the Pacific that we've talked about a few times. These are the guys who, when they were teenagers 40 years ago, were pulling Navy bombers off the bottom of Lake Washington with ropes and their little um, you know, recreational boats and everything. Wow. Jeff Hummel is CEO now of the exploration company called Rockfish. He said yesterday that the aha moment came in 2015. The vessel has a canoe stern, which comes to a point, and so it looks like a bow. So everyone thought that that stern was actually the bow, and so when you would compare it to the photos, nothing lines up until you flip it around and you realize that the front, which is kind of the bow, which is kind of crushed a little bit, is what people are calling the stern. And when you do that, you flip it around, then you see that all of the, the features in the photo, you know, the major structural items all line up perfectly, and it is the dicks. Yeah, so they use the wreck to test their gear before they head out to Cape Flattery to the wreck of the Pacific, and they've examined it many times before. Still, even so, on Thursday, Jeff noticed something he hadn't seen before. Today, uh, one of the conclusions I had is that the large structure that we see at the front actually might be the boiler um, because the boiler doesn't appear to be where it should be and so I could see if the vessel was going down you know at a very steep angle that the boiler could you know set set itself free and and you know damage the front part of the boat so that's something I'd you know like to investigate further and they've kept their findings a secret since 2015 they don't want to do anything other than create a detailed photo survey of the wreck and they want to work with the state legislature to create some way to protect it in perpetuity so it won't be looted I mean it is it is a grave site for as many as 39 or 40 people I've got pictures from yesterday and videos at my Facebook page. It was like very Jacques Cousteau, you know, out there on the boat and like there was, you know, people drinking coffee and stuff and like kind of salty maritime guys marching back and forth and telling me to get out of the way and everything. It was very cool. Um, 
Last cool item about this. Jeff is headed to Colorado this weekend to see one of the Navy bombers that he and Matt pulled off the bottom of Lake Washington 40 years ago. It's been restored and will actually take flight with Jeff there to watch it. What? Pretty amazing. That is amazing. It's very, very cool. And there'll be more to come about this, but this is just breaking news as of yesterday that they've identified this wreck that's been unknown for 117 years. Are they going to pull it up? No, no. It's it's okay. a it's a grave site. It's it's just yeah. it's all covered with sea anemones and stuff, and it's just it's it, they don't want it to, anyone to disturb it. They want to just take photos of mm. it and kind of document it, but not disturb it. Okay, that's yeah. How many ships do you think are at the bottom of Lake Washington or Elliott oh, Bay? Hundreds, thousands. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, the boating was maritime travel is always been very dangerous, right? Especially wooden boats, and especially when they didn't really have radar or didn't have any way to keep track of things in the dark and stuff. So, yeah, it's, this is, it's everything. is a, it's, a, it's a maritime graveyard everywhere you look. Wow, I had no idea. Thank you, Felix. He joins us every Friday for All Over the Map. It's now 7.16 on Seattle's Morning News. Good to have you with us this morning, and we're welcoming our friend, our consumer man, Herb Weisbaum, contributing editor at Checkbook.org to explain the trap of the buy now, pay later offers that seem to be everywhere. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. How are you? Oh, doing well. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm up early for me, but I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. That sounds about right. Now, I see it started with one service, the buy now, pay later. And now I feel like whenever I check out online, there are 10 different options. We've got PayPal. We've got credit card. We have all of these different services that are buy now, pay later. And they say there is no interest. And so you think that's a great deal, but it actually dings our credit. Well, it can. Let me start out by explaining what buy now, pay later is for some people who may not understand. Buy now, pay later is often described as a layaway plan in reverse, allowing shoppers to split up the cost but get the merchandise right away. With the old buy now, with the old layaway, you had to pay everything and then you got the merchandise. With buy now, pay later, you make the first payment, 25% of the total price, and then you can have the merchandise take it home at the checkout or have it shipped to you. But they're not exactly the same. With traditional layaway, the consumer uh, can stop the payments anytime and say, I'm not going to take the merchandise. Uh, that's not the same with buy now, pay later. You're typically obligated, once you agree to this, to make all the payments for the product, the next three payments, just as you would with a credit card, or there could be cons- consequences, uh, which we'll talk about in a second. As you noted, buy now, pay later has been around for a while, about 11 years. Uh, got really, really, really gone strong during the pandemic, and people use it as a way to, to improve their cash flow when they bought really expensive items, you know, maybe vacation vacations or big screen TVs or things like that, home exercise machines. But uh, it, it makes it possible for you to buy something you can't really afford because it seems so much cheaper. You're only putting 25% down. And that's the big concern now. It's everywhere. You can buy groceries yeah. and gasoline with buy now play. You can probably buy snowball machines if you yeah. put your mind and look around. <laughs> there are these cool little plastic things. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, as you said, it's not just for big ticket items. I started seeing it if I was just buying like a, a $10 book of stickers for my child. And they're like, hey, you want to buy now, pay later? And I go, well, why? So, like, what's the catch here? Yeah. Well, and it's heavily marketed, by the way, to younger yeah. people, oh, yeah. people who have less experience with credit and uh, or people with little credit and can't get credit, so they have few options. Well, the downside here is that you're obligating yourself to make these payments, and if you don't make the payments, there are, it may not be interest, but there are penalty fees. 7 to $8 is the common range, and then the way you set these up is 89% of the people give the buy now, pay later company their debit card number, so the transaction 
transaction is automatically withdrawn from their checking account. If you don't have the money in the checking account, when the withdrawal comes out, and it sometimes can vary, it's not always as specific as with a credit card, they're regulated, buy now, pay later services are not, so you have more oh. rules for them. Uh, if you if there's not the money in the checking account, you pay the, the late fee, and you also could get hit with a, an overdraft fee, and they can hit you several times, so you could get multiple uh, times when you get a, a late charge, you could get multiple times when you get the overdraft Oh, sounds like we just lost his phone cut out, so hopefully we can get him back. I know that this is being heavily marketed. It's the holidays right now, and so you know we need to pay attention to to what we're doing and, and spending within our means. And he said, especially for younger people, it's yeah, being well, marketed to uh, them. Yeah, I, I, the, what jumped out to me, the reason I, I pitched Herb this, uh, this whole segment was because this is something that my wife and I, my wife specifically, uh, is, is really... Sorry about that. Skype cut me out. Oh, That's all right, Herb. I, w- I was saying, me as a younger person, my wife and I, we have been using uh, these types of services for years. Thankfully, we always do have enough money in our account when those auto payments uh, come in. Is there? W- we like to use Afterpay, but um, I know there there are many different. Uh, you know, uh, buy now, pay later businesses that that are options. Is there one that is seems less predatory than some of the other ones? I don't think we've done anything to rate them, and I think they all basically have the same business model. There, the problem is if you don't have the money to pay for, which is not, you know, it's basically on you and not them. But people just lose track of these things. Many, many people. A survey by Wallet Hub showed a lot of people stack these on top of each other, so they have several going at the same time, which then you really lose track of the dates when the payments are coming out. That gets to be a big problem. And as I was about to say before, I got cut off from Skype. The Consumer Federation of America and the Center for Responsible Lending just released a survey that they did of consumers in California to get an idea of where things stand. And they found that in the last six months, more than a third, 37% said they had incurred a bank overdraft fee and 16% paid a late or rescheduling fee charged by buy now, pay later, the bank or the or the lender. So it sounds like this is better than a credit card. Everybody, you know, they, they bill it as better than a credit card. Hey, it's interest-free, but there can be consequences. And while they don't normally report you to the credit bureaus if you make the payments on time. If you don't make the payments on time and they wind up sending you a collection, that will get reported to the credit bureaus and it can destroy your credit. So no real upside and a downside if if you screw up and, and don't make these payments. Is there a smart way to use buy now, pay later? Yes, there is. And I think the only real smart way to, to do buy now, pay later is if you only use one at a time, you use it to only buy something you can actually pay for and you're just trying to increase your cash flow. Remember, the whole reason why merchants offer these things is their data shows that it encourages people to spend more and it actually keeps people from abandoning carts when they shop online. So you say to yourself, well, it's $100, but it's only 25 today. Oh, maybe I can buy those extra accessories they're suggesting because I really only spent $25. No, you committed yourself to $100 and you have to think that way, but they know people don't think that way. So the smart way is only use one, only use it for what you can afford. But here's the bottom line, uh, Colleen. Credit cards, in our opinion, the checkbook are still the best way to pay because they have a lot of 
fraud protection backing by federal law. If you buy something with buy now, pay later, you don't get any of that backing from fraud protection. So if there's a problem, you can't call, go to the credit card company and say, hey, the merchandise didn't arrive. The merchandise arrived damaged. I got taken by a con artist. Um, those You don't have any of those protections. And what we're hearing from people is that if you do have a problem, you go. who do you go to? Do you go to the buy now, pay later company? Or do you go to the merchant? Each one points the finger at the other person and says, oh, it's not our problem. Go to the buy now, pay later company. Oh, it's not our problem. Go to the retailer that you bought the product from. People are getting the real royal runaround. And because of that, complaints to the Better Business Bureau are skyrocketing. I went online last week. I don't know if you know the Better Business Bureau does a three-year three, week, a three year average, like how many complaints they've closed in a three years, like a rolling uh, average there. So as of when I looked last week, they had closed a combined total of 11,000 complaints in the last three years against a firm after pay, Klarna, Sezzle, wow. and Zip. Wow. 11,000 complaints, and all five companies had an average customer rating. This is from their customers of one out of five. Doesn't speak very highly for these programs. One out of five. Mm, not at all. What would we do without you? Herb Weisbaum, consumer man, contributing editor at Checkbook.org. You've been protecting us for decades, sir. And I'd like to keep doing it. And if you want to read more, my article is on checkbook.org. We go into much greater detail. Is also the Consumerpedia podcast. If you want to listen to all the advice we have about buy now, pay later, just check, go to checkbook.org. Herb, thank you. You're welcome. Have a good weekend. You too. It's now time for the Daily Dose of Kindness. It's brought to you by Robert W. Baird. A Tennessee family coping with the devastating loss of their dog is sharing their story in hopes of inspiring others. Chris Conti with CBS affiliate WTVF has the story. These are the only ones that's on there this morning. Standing over her mother's computer. You never expect anything so tragic to happen. This is a happy dog. Looking at pictures of her mother's dog. Susan Hodge is still admittedly in shock. She was an amazing little dog. She is Dusty, a 14-year-old, four-and-a-half-pound chihuahua. Her food bowl and her bed are still here, even though she is not. On Friday afternoon, actually. Susan's mom, Lola, was in the bedroom of her Madison apartment trying to step down from her bed. The 65-year-old lost her balance and somehow landed on her dog. Dusty broke the fall of my mom and uh, broke her back. Um, the dog's back. Like any dog owner would do, Lola got in her car and rushed the injured pup to the vet. There was nothing they could do. They said, you know, well, there's always the option of cremation. And she said, well, how much is that? And they said $160. She said, I don't have it. Susan's mom was sitting outside of this vet clinic in Madison on the front steps in tears when a man who she'd never met came up to her and helped fix her broken heart with one receipt. This man just came up to me. It just paid for Dusty's cremation and said sorry for your loss. Still too upset to talk, Lola asked her daughter to share this. We're so thankful. We're so thankful for what that guy did. He has no idea. They don't know who the man is, and they are not sure if he knows just what he did. I don't know if he was rich. I don't know if he was poor. It doesn't matter. A simple act of kindness that to them is priceless. There are some people out there that do still care.
Good morning. I'm Colleen O'Brien. I'm joined by our producer, David Burbank, and Mike Salk from 710 Seattle Sports is here. We like to bring you in from the Brock and Salk show. Anytime something big happens in the world of Seattle sports, and this certainly fits the bill for the first time since 1991. The UW Husky football team is 10-0. and yep. How'd they do it? Well, they just kept winning. Uh, you know, they found different ways to win. Early in the year, it was the offense, 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 and they beat up on some pretty weak competition, which is standard in college football. And then they got their huge win over Oregon. And after that, it's just been sort of survival mode the last couple of weeks against a good USC team and even better Utah team. And then this sort of their biggest game now of the season tomorrow as, as they battle at Oregon State. If it was here... I think the Huskies probably win handily. In Corvallis, kind of a little different scenario, having to go there to a very difficult place to play. Really? Why is that? Well, I, it's just a, a different atmosphere, right? You're out in the middle of nowhere. It's going to be potentially raining tomorrow, Heck. cold. The crowd is loud. They got their chainsaw going on every third down. And, and beyond all of that, I think there's just a lot of understandable anger from the two schools that were left behind in the Pac-12. Oh, and, and Oregon I, State is one of them, they huh? They sure are. Oh, I Can you, Mike, that. for our audience, explain a little bit about, just very briefly, about what this Pac-12 situation is going into next season, specifically with the, yeah. the court decision that came out recently? Yeah, I mean, all the schools are leaving. That That's a mm-hmm. done deal. All the schools other than Washington State and Oregon State are done. They're out at the end of this year. They won't be back. The Pac-12, in that manner with these teams, is finished. There are all kinds of legal proceedings going on now as Oregon State and Washington State say, all right, if you're leaving, we control all the revenue and we control all of the assets that are owned by the conference. And the other schools are saying, whoa, 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 hold on a second. We're leaving, but we're not like leaving the money on the table. Let's not get carried away. And uh, they won their first court decision. They then were given a stay. So we'll see where it all ends up. There'll probably be a settlement of some sort when it's all said and done. But, yeah, every single Washington State and Oregon State fan should be incredibly angry about the way they were left behind by this process. Oh, so we should be angry at the Huskies and the other teams. And, well, and- I'm not saying they should be necessarily angry at the other teams, just angry. Angry at it's the a, It's a lousy situation. I don't, you know, every... At the end of the day, everybody's in it for themselves, right? I mean, you've, you've got to find the best situation for you. And unfortunately, this conference had gone down the drain thanks to some really poor management from Larry Scott and others. But, yeah, I mean, it doesn't doesn't make you any less angry when you're the ones being left behind. What happens to the Apple Cup? As of now, there is no more Apple Cup after this really? year. Really? Yeah. So they can't play an Apple Cup just because they're not in the same conference? They can. But they got to schedule it with each other. And as of now, that hasn't happened. Could it happen? Yes. Is it likely to happen on Thanksgiving weekend? No. We had G. Scott on the other day talking about this, too. And he had mentioned that, you know, when it comes to college recruiting, who's going to want to go to Oregon State Mm -hmm. and, and Wazoo anymore? So do those schools just lose out on good players hoping to get recruited to the NFL or, or what happens to yes. those universities? Well, they're already losing out on them because they don't have the same amount of money to pay those kids, mm. right? I mean, with the NIL money that's come in, name, image, and likeness money that has come into college football in the last couple of years, you know, schools who have money are able to pay for good players and schools that don't have as much money are not. So, yes, they will be left behind. So it's not just the football team. I mean, all students will suffer because the revenue is not coming into those schools anymore. Yes. All right.
that to me, like that's worth discussing. Mm-hmm. Is it's been discussed absolutely major yeah. university, and maybe not on our show. <laughs> so that's why we have you here, Mike, to explain this to us. No, it's I mean, been discussed Wazoo a lot. Is a is a top school, and it's a place a lot of kids want to go, yep. and now they're going to turn away from it. Yep. Does Pullman just? I mean, how do they come back from this? As an athletic institution, it's just a university and an athletic. I don't institution. think it'll necessarily hurt them a ton as an just as an academic institution. I think people will still want to go to Wazoo, but you know, I mean, I, I guess the hope would be this: you, you end up in a smaller conference. And you're able to win more games because while you have fewer resources than your fellow schools in the Pac-12, you would have more resources than a new conference that could be put together with Fresno State, San Diego State, Sacramento State. Right. I mean, those would end up being the schools that you would be much more likely to be in a league with. Yeah. All of a sudden, instead of winning six, seven games a year, maybe you're winning 10 or 12 games a year, just not doing it against this high level of competition. And that's how you get a recruit. Recruits attention. Yeah. That, okay. I mean, well, I don't know whether you're going to get the same level of recruit, but yeah. you'd earn more wins, which would make it still a really fun place to watch football. I just feel bad for the kids and all of this. Yeah, stinks. Mike Salk from 710 Seattle Sports, the Brock and Salk show. It's on right now, but I'm glad you're listening to us. And it's Mickey time at 847 on Seattle's Morning News. Mickey, with the holiday season coming up, we're all thinking about shopping. We were just talking with consumer man Herb Weisbaum last hour about the buy now, pay later online shopping trend. He had a lot of great warnings Mm -hmm. for us about that. So you can check out his article at checkbook.org. We're going to talk about shopping the old-fashioned way, though. A new study from Bankrate.com now claiming Seattle is the worst city in America to shop for the holidays, how, how exactly did they determine this? Well, you know, I'm going to be honest. I, I kind of agree with this, uh, with this, with Bankrate. When I moved, I, you know, I moved here from You've Texas. Been around, right? Yeah. I, Detroit, I, New York, Texas. Right. Exactly. And in Texas, there is like a mall, like there are Starbucks <laughs> on every corner here. Yeah. I mean, I just, I feel like there were so many choices. It was overwhelming. I move here. I'm ready to go holiday shopping. And I'm like, well, where do I go? Where's, where's the mall? Yeah. We, well, we're Amazon country. Right. So we go to South Center. But let me tell you why. Yeah, yeah. My daughter loves to go to South Center. But Bankrate says, yeah, we are one of the worst. We are the worst for holiday shopping. They looked at affordability, purchasing power, accessibility to shopping across the country. The one thing that hurt us, our sales tax. 10.25%. I've had that discussion with other parents who are trying to save money around back-to-school shopping. Mm -hmm. And even though it's a three-hour drive and gas prices are expensive... They went down to Oregon to do their shopping because they get a tax break down there. And, you know, to them, it was worth it. Yeah, And in Texas, they do the same thing. Like before back to school or before the holidays, they'll have a uh, tax free day where you can go and you can buy all of those items you want. You don't have to pay taxes on them. State implemented a tax free day. Yeah. That's crazy. And cool. that, yeah, I like so that. So at the same time, well, so here's the deal. So Bankrate also looked into the fact that we lost a lot of the big stores mm-hmm. because of the pandemic and for other reasons, like we lost Target in the U District, Nike Town closed down, the Amazon Go store on Fifth Avenue and more. Um, we have apparently less stores than Metro Detroit. Wow. Which was rather jaw dropping when I read that fact. Also, safety is a big concern. That's another reason that uh, we're considered one of the worst city for holiday shopping. Uh, It looks like we can't keep our shoppers and our staff safe. Uh, The average family, which I found this, this is another fact that I found interesting that Bankrate uh, 
shared. The average family is going to spend about $875 this year on holiday presents. That seems low. But in Seattle, <laughs> to be I know, honest, I know. But Not here's because the deal. I want to spend more because how do you spend less? Well, check this out. In Seattle, you have to spend over $1,000 to buy the equivalent of $875 elsewhere. Wow. Yeah. That's too much. What that do you, is too do you much. put limits on, you know, what you're going to spend per kid? I don't. Because, you know, of I course, don't... we know that, you know, Santa will deliver, but parents also buy stuff for their kids. Right. So exactly. Do you have um, a limit? We we like to have. Well, yes, we do have a limit. But if I share that limit, you're going to judge me. <laughs> Probably like we judged your allowance. I know. But, right. You, know, um, you share what you're comfortable. 500 with. each kid. Okay. Well, you have older kids too. Right. And the older they get, the, I remember that. Suddenly mm-hmm. we wanted laptops and we wanted video game right. consoles. My and- son wants the new iPhone that's out. And wow. so, yeah. And he, he gave us his list and I'm like, okay, you need to knock this down to three items, please. We do limit you know? it to three as yeah. well. Three and- for Santa and then anything extra is bonus. Right. And then yeah. with Andrea, with my wife, I say, please don't spend more than 200 on me. Like I don't need anything. Yeah, so, I was just looking at one of those. You have it, a heated puffer vest, because it's so cold in the studio. I can't yes, feel my fingers. I'm freezing right and now thought, and shaking. Well, you know, maybe for Chris, and it's like, why? I'll just buy it myself. Yeah, like, you know, where if you I need it, need I want anything. it. I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you, David? You, you, you know, and your your new wife. Yeah, let me tell you this. We Christmas. so I have for years struggled with where to purchase things specifically for my wife, but also for my family members, and whether I do it online, whether I go to the big box stores, I, it always stresses me out going to, you know, Bellevue Square or Alderwood Mall or Why these places. Why does it stress you out? Just because of all the traffic, all the people running uh, around. It's, it's, it's anxiety inducing. And the fact that I don't know if I am going to find something. And so I feel like, did I just waste three hours of my life walking around this mall looking for something that I didn't end up finding? So what my, my wife and I have started doing the last few years is we go to uh, Christmas markets, like bazaars and yes. Christmas art markets. It's the most fun experience. You walk around. What we do is we'll do a lap of all the booths together. Mm-hmm. We'll kind of internally make little notes about what we want to get each other. There's usually a bunch of fun earrings or art pieces Things that I want to buy. won't find anywhere else. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're supporting local artists and then we'll kind of split up and then we'll go around on our own, pick up the things for each other. It's so fun. It makes the whole experience more fun. It makes it feel collaborative for us as a couple. And it's beautiful and meaningful. Des Moines exactly. is having one on Saturday, and yeah. we're going. Yeah, yeah. they're and all over the state. So yeah, has one on Saturdays downtown. I think it opens at 10 a.m. in Edmonds, the, the Christmas festival. Mm-hmm. Another, just a little hint, because this is one of my favorite places to mm. buy gifts, and it's off the beaten. You Tell me. Ace Hardware. What? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Maybe it's just the Edmonds one, or it uh-huh. could be all Ace Hardware's, but they have the best, most unique gifts you will ever find. Anytime I need a quick gift that I know nobody has ever seen before, I go to Ace Hardware. I'm going to go check it out. Definitely. No, And you know what, David? I'm opposite you. I love the hustle and bustle. So maybe Black Friday or mm-hmm. maybe on New Year's Eve. That's when I do a lot of my Christmas shopping on New Year's Eve. I will go to South Center Mall. I love seeing the parking lot packed. I love wow. the people walking around everywhere and going into stores, having to wait in the line. I don't know why, but that just energizes me. To each their own. And I get excited about it. Some of us shop at hardware stores. <laughs> some of us shop at Christmas bazaars. Mickey likes the crowds. I do. You go, girl. All, All right. right. Thank you for that. Good You're luck welcome. to everybody with your holiday shopping. Ted, you have any shopping secrets? 
whatever's going to work, and it varies from the adults to the kids. So I'm with you on that. You, you just got to pick and choose what you can do for each of the individuals. And yeah. that's the key, is trying to find something that means something to them. Not just a pressure gift you're buying at the last minute. Correct. Yeah. Right. I, I, I usually try to get ahead of it, too. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to the show's podcast. We're happy you're here. And you can keep up with the show and find some of the stories from today online at MyNorthwest.com.